0: Welcome to an episode of I Am Black History, Our Voices, Our Stories, brought to you by In the Black Canada and Deep Visions Media. I am your host, Donna Paris, coming to you from Toronto. I normally start the podcast with a land acknowledgement, but I am following the lead of an Indigenous friend who asked me to go beyond a land acknowledgement and instead say what I am going to do now that I am more aware of the plight of Indigenous peoples. In the spirit of reconciliation with Indigenous peoples in Canada, I, Donna Paris, solemnly pledge to learn more about Indigenous peoples and issues, to not perpetuate stereotypes in my conversations or observations, to read the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of Canada's 94 Calls to Action, to read the 231 calls for justice in the final report of the National Inquiry into Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls, and to actively encourage ongoing support of National Indigenous Peoples' Day every June 21st and National Day for Truth and Reconciliation on September 30th. And you can find this pledge at Indigenous Corporate Training Inc. at www.ict. INC.CA. I give gratitude and thanks. I am here today with Mr. Van Hayes, who lives in Breton, Alberta. Mr. Hayes was born June 22, 1936, in Edmonton, Alberta, the second youngest child of Floyd and Elizabeth Hayes. Mr. Hayes' paternal grandparents were William and Molly Hayes. His father, Floyd, was born in Mississippi in 1889. In 1905, the Hayes family moved to what's called Indian Territory, which was part of the Cree Nation in what would later become the state of Oklahoma. His maternal grandparents were Mr. and Mrs. William Murphy. They lived in Chandler, Oklahoma in Lincoln County where his mother Elizabeth was born in 1906. Both families left Oklahoma traveling by train to Alberta with his father's family settling in the Keystone area now called Breton while his mother's family settled on a homestead in Pine Creek, later Amber Valley. Mr. Hayes lives with his wife Ethel on a farm about 15 miles north of Breton. Welcome and thanks for being here.
1: Yeah, thanks for letting me tell you something about where I live at and my parents. And I was born in Edmonton in 1936 and the doctor was named Dr. Vant. And so my mother named me after him. Okay. From there, it was a bad year for my parents. Not only my parents, but everybody, it was dry. And so we moved to Kelowna, where one of my uncles worked in where they made ketchup. Right. And my father, he was working for a logging company on a place called Black Mountain. And uh, he had ulcers, and they broke, and he died. So then it was up to my mother to look after the 10 of us.
0: 10 children, wow.
1: Oh, yeah. (laughs) So we stayed there until 41, and then we moved back to Alberta, Tamara Valley, and then from there, my parents had got some land at Bratton, like when the government, they were fishing out this land. And so that's where life started. I can always remember when we left Kelowna, we wasn't used to the bush and stuff. You know, It was all bush and the only way you got around was with horses. And so my mother, plus the 10 of us, cleared the land by hand. Later on, I'll tell you how the wife and I did, just like that, too. Cleared this land by hand. The buildings were still there. There was a log house. It wasn't that big, but it was enough, you know, to keep the 12 of us, or no, 11 of us.
0: This was land that your father's family had lived on before they went to BC?
1: Yeah, it was. And uh, so anyway... I can always remember coming back to Bratton, and they called a the train that went through here the Muskeg Special. Okay. Mister Seal, he was uh, he looked after the station. Then the uh, Fords they met us with two teams of horses and wagons, and moved us back out of Bratton.
0: How old would you have been then?
1: Eight, Eight years from... old. Eight. I had just started in school in Kelowna, and then. We moved back out here.
0: Your father dies, and then your whole family has to move somewhere else. What was that like for you?
1: It was tough, tough on everybody. Not being used to the bush and everything, like Kelowna wasn't all bush like out here. He scared everything. Then my mother bought a team of horses, and that's where we learned to drive. I'll tell you one thing I can remember coming into Bretton. At 20 or 30 below, my mother would be driving the horses to get groceries and things, and all of us would be in the sleigh. But before she left, probably three or four days, she put some rocks in the stove, like in the oven. Right. You know, we always wondered what these rocks were all about. Hey, (laughs) we uh, finally found out. She had these blankets. She had covers up, you know, and you kept your hands and feet warm on these rocks, hey. Wow. Because there was quite a ways in the town. And I mean, it was cold in those days and not really dressed like we do nowadays. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: There was three girls and seven boys. There was twins, Laverne and Lejeune. Everybody had big families in those days.
0: Here you have 10 children and your mom living. What was the space like?
1: It was small. Real small. Okay. Every fall, you know, come September, she would dig a hole and pour water and it would mix mud up and put in between the logs, mud and hay, you know, keep it warm. Right. In the book, there's a picture of my nephew. If you ever see that book, you'll see a picture of that log house of my nephew.
0: And is the house still there?
1: No, nope, no, the house is long gone.
0: Living there on the farm and going to school with all your siblings, what was that like?
1: First they went to Strawberry Ridge, a school called Strawberry Ridge. Okay. And then they built the school called Saskatoon Valley, and my mother named that school. And all the farmers around an area that had children, they all... Went together and, and built this school. It was built out of logs. I went to it for a while and then it burnt down one fall. Uh, Mrs. Turner was the teacher. I can always remember her. We had to walk to school. It was about three miles, maybe more, through the bush, like
0: mm-hmm.
1: the, going around the wagon trail. Anyway, Mrs. Turner was the teacher. I talked to her about, I would say six or seven years ago. There was a write-up in the paper about me and she was living in Leduc at the time, but I think she's already passed on me.
0: Children at the school, were they all black or was it mixed?
1: It was mixed, yeah.
0: Was there prejudice incidents that happened at your school?
1: Yeah, at school and in town and, you know, people thought maybe these black people was gonna start taking over or something, you know, but it it wasn't like that. Everybody got along. Like say in the fall, when hunting season came along, I always remember this family, they would go hunting and they would come back and they'd give people all along that road, give them some meat or something. They shared things.
0: What did you have on the farm?
1: Horses, two or three milk cows, after school was out in June, we cut our firewood, and we had a big crosscut saw, and uh, saw the winter wood out because we knew it was coming, and we never had a well right away, so the Forge, they were another colored family that lived to so be three miles east of us. They came and helped dug a well and got water at 15 feet. But before that, we had to walk to the creek, and there was a spring there. That's where we got our water.
0: How far was that walk to the spring?
1: Oh, it wasn't that far, probably 300 yards or something like
0: that. Mm -hmm.
1: And I can always remember, we were always scared, Hey, and the mother told us, you better get the water and the wood in, you know, before it gets dark. And, you know, we were playing and, and it, it was getting dark. <laughs> so anyway, she says, where's the water? And she said, we'll go get it. Hey. You know, and it was in the fall. And we had dug this hole and put our potatoes in it, like and covered it up with hay and stuff. So they wouldn't freeze hey.
0: oh, okay.
1: And this calf got in there and he's down on his knees, and his back was sticking up, and he's jet like this cafe. And we we're on our way back with the water, and it had to be a bear. Hey?
0: <laughs>
1: Yelling and screaming and through the buckets are down, and my <laughs> mother came out there and wanted to know what was going on, and we said, we've seen a bear. Hey? <laughs> and and uh, she said, it's that cat. You know because he always used to follow us around so after that we made sure at daylight <laughs> in the daytime would get enough water. water
0: hey? were there bears
1: oh no. there was bears out there too yeah. mm-hmm. so I was just telling Dan about my adventures I had to walk out three miles to the highway because I couldn't get my car out it was so muddy and things and uh, the worst time I hated the goal was in the evening when I was on night shift. Right. And have to walk in out there and come off shift, drive back to where I parked the car at and walk home. Day. My wife, she had never been out to this country in all of like.
0: He's originally from British Columbia?
1: Vancouver Island.
0: Okay. Is she also black? Um,
1: nope. She's okay. white. Okay. Had red hair, with a gray, now.
0: So <laughs> what kind of reaction did you get, you know, as a mixed race couple? Were there people who gave you a hard time about that?
1: Not too often. The thing that happened, the rig was shut down. So I went pipeline and let my brother and we were a uh, white court there. And I used to like around with the welders and things was shut down, hey, so the owners came out that day and uh, one of the owners came over and said, oh, you like to go to welding school, you know, when we finish here and I said, oh yeah, you know, that'll be okay. So we finished and from there, they had already sponsored me in a school on Vancouver Island for welding. And by the time we got the pipeline finished and it was time to go and the wife was pregnant, we headed back to the island. And it was nice out there in the summertime. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So I stayed there. We did for three years, moved back and stayed at my mother's house for a year. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And then we bought our own land. I've got to tell you how this happened.
0: Okay, I want to hear that.
1: This counselor, Bert Flathers, and I knew the land because I was raised around that day. And uh, so anyway, we're in the county of Brazil now. And before Brazil, it was the county of Duke right to the river. Talked to Bert Flathers about it. He was a counselor and he went in and talk to the rest of them. Oh, all no, all, we're going to build a community pasture out there. And I always thank the man for what he did because he went to two meetings after that and he stood up and told them, You people are lying. He said, Because you're black, you don't want to sell it to them. And, you know, they figured that we we're going to live on welfare or something. Mm. So, Anyway, they finally sold it to us, and, uh, and I was determined. And the land we bought that, it had grown back up and about 10, 15 feet, but you could still see, you know, it had been cleared. Right. Anyway, I was working on the rig, so I decided to get a cat in there, and, and so they came on the note. We won't do it, and I says, Why not? And I said, The money's right there for you. He says, Well, if we clear it now, we're going to push all that stuff and dirt in a little you know, in piles, all the topsoil. Mm-hmm. So then the wife and I came to town, bought two axes, and we started cutting bush and we cleaned the bush. It took, I would say, about four months 22 acres. And then Dodge built this a truck and a tractor. They call them Rockall. So my brother, he brought that over. And we had a plow. We hooked it on, you know, and plowed it and got the land ready. And we had it for the next year. But yeah. I could see what they mean when they said, don't take the cat in there and strip it all up because there's not that much black dirt around here anyway.
0: So it made sense that they had said that, to not do that. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah, it made sense, you know.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Then after that, I went working on the rigs, and she looked after everything. I worked on them after that all my life. And the last job, well, before the last job, tool push, he asked me if I wanted to go to Greenland, and I said, okay. But before that, hey, in the office, they said, well, maybe he won't get along with anybody up there, hey? You know, and so anyway, Elmer says to me, he says, you're going? And I says, well, we'll see what they say, hey. <laughs> so he says, well, go into the office. The office was a madman, hey? And everything was all settled, hey? The crew, except me. So Elmer, he goes in there and he took me in with him and he says, either I go with him or none of the approval. Between the five of us, we had a hundred years experience. You know, it wasn't like just starting or something. Hey? And that then, was
0: something that he stood up like that.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, he had been around and he knew. Was he? But I'll tell you another one before I finish about this. I remember working at Great Valley, my brother and I, we were the only two colored ones on the rig. And uh, Elmer Cooper, a lot of people knew Cooper, so a couple guys have quit. One was a driller.
0: One was what? Sorry, I didn't hear you.
1: A driller. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, the other one was. Motor hand or something. So we go to work in the morning, and here we finally ain't got no jobs. Hey, you know, he got from Calgary, and Calgary says no, they can't work. You know, so we went home. Hey, it's sort of disappointing. You know, you work for a company that long. Hey, you know, you know what you're doing. Hey, so, mm-hmm.
0: so you didn't have the job because you were black. Yeah. Okay.
1: You know, so. From there, I went in for another company. They were good to work for. And after that, I was up north a couple of times, northern B.C. And, you know, I knew what I was doing. So I was the only black one on there. We were 28 days in and 10 days out. I came home and the wife was sick, you know, so... I phoned the officers and says, I'm not going back up. Well, you got it. And I said, I don't have to. <laughs> I told them there were two things I wouldn't do. I wouldn't work at Christmas Day. And if somebody was sick in my family, I was going home. They didn't like it too much. But then the phone rings around midnight one night in the of where she says, I'm going to tell you something, but don't you say nothing to anybody you'll hear it on the morning. The plane went down and killed everybody.
0: The plane that you would have been on if you'd gone back to yeah. work? Yeah. Oh, my goodness.
1: You know, so so when the life got better, I uh, was uh, at home with her. And then in the summertime, I went working on another rig. They were good, hey, you know. And we were laid down. And... I see this nice big fancy truck driving up into the yard. These guys from Alaska, they had heard about me. And they were nice, and they came and sat down talking. And I wonder what these guys want. This was in 1977. So they said, do you want to come and build drilling rigs with us? From 77 right to 19...
0: 93.
1: Okay. 93 or 94. I worked for the two companies, Neighbors Alaska and Doyon Drilling of Alaska.
0: You were building rigs?
1: Yeah, building rigs for the Arctic, for the North Slope. Yeah.
0: They knew that you did good work. They came looking for you.
1: Yeah, I didn't go looking for, you know, I like working for them. The only thing was to drive and I didn't mind it in the summer, but some of those winter storms say it's 67 miles one way every day I drove. Every day? Every day, seven days a week. And then they sent me to Alaska to help set up the one rig. And so I told them I wouldn't go unless the wife could go too and the mother-in-law, and, and they were nice. They put them up in a room. They paid for it, and paid for the meals while I was on the nurse's Those people up there, they were really nice. After that, I just stayed home with her, and uh, then this summer, last summer, I should say, getting ready to do some field work, and uh, she had a stroke. They didn't know it was a stroke, so she went to the hospital. And she was there overnight, and the phone rang. And all they told me was, We're taking her wife to Red Deer. So I phoned the daughter and told her, You'll be there in that ambulance, get there because I want to know. Hey, so anyway, she phoned back and said she had had a stroke, so I wanted to go down and see her right away. Hey, but uh, I couldn't get in to see her for a month.
0: Is that because of COVID?
1: Yeah, and then. The next time was another month, and then it drove on right up until Christmas Eve, and she was home to stay, but she's got a long ways to go yet. We've had a good life together.
0: Thank you for sharing that with us.
1: Ethel, she used to work for the B.C. government, and how I met her, like, you know, when the rig shut down, we would, you know, save up our money while we go here. We were going to the States or, you know, up north someplace. And I met her when I was out there. She was from uh, Lady Smith In B.C.? Yeah, in B.C. Mm-hmm. And I remember when the first one was born, no, I'm not lying to you, okay? <laughs> All these people wanted to see what it looked like, this baby. Because they wanted to see it. She looked like maybe a monkey or something. They didn't know what they wanted to see. You
0: know? Wow, this black and white baby, this mixed yeah. race baby. Okay. Yeah. Do you still do work on the farm yourself?
1: Oh, yeah. I look after we got cattle. Yeah. She looked after them when I was sick. So from the time we started, we started well, one quarter, then we bought three. So we had a whole section and we bought two places in Alaska. Then where I was raised in, I owned uh, three-fifths of one of that. Work.
0: You still own some land where you were raised?
1: Yeah. Okay. And I know my parents worked hard because in those days, you know, just horses and grub holes and dragon trees. Out.
0: I wanted to ask you, what was going on in Oklahoma? That your parents made the decision to come to alberta to come to canada in the first place do you know about the history of what was going on there
1: i don't know i heard my mother talk about it hey
0: what would you say
1: how bad it was down there you know you know when they had all that trouble down there mississippi and those places and i know about one guy he from uh, georgia or someplace down there okay Anyway, we were in us on hills, and you know he was looking after things, you know. And he still thought he was down there. Hey, you know, he was going to fire us. Hey, see, when the rig wasn't working well, you know, you could always find another job. Hey, they had camps and everything. Hey, anyway, he figured, well, I'll just herd them around like dogs or something. Hey. Mm-hmm. And told this other boss, and he says he'll be out of here tonight. And he was. Okay. They're running him off right now.
0: Okay. But, there was some good people there.
1: Oh, yeah, there was some good people. Things have changed a lot hey, over the years. Hey, but I had one interview here. It must have been two or three years ago. I think there was four or five of us had to get up. and You know, what we could remember about. Being black in here, I was telling them, my mother, she was a good shot. You know, I'm not kidding. She knew how to handle this big gun, and it was big. (laughs) So anyway, uh, this guy come riding in on his big white horse, and all of us kids was out there in the yard doing something. And where's your mother at? I don't know. She's in the house, I guess. One of them told her. My mother heard this noise of what was going on, so she comes out, hey, and she used to wear a white apron around, you know, and she was cooking and and that was made out of a sugar bag or a flour bag. Anyway, she comes out and she wants to know what he's yelling and screaming about while your kids they wrecked my bridge, hey. Well, it just a little creep. You know, you go across her, the horses and things, you know, just make sure they didn't fall down through the holes and things. Eh? And he was yapping away at my mother, hey, eh? and we're standing around looking. And pretty soon my mother says, I'll be back right away, just wait for a minute here. And she comes back and she's got this 43 miles or enough from the floor. It looked about 10 feet tall. Eh? <laughs> She says, if you don't get out of my yard, I'm going to shoot that horse first, and then I'm going to shoot you. <laughs> and that uh, was the best neighbor you could ever have after that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Your mother did not play. <laughs>
1: oh, no. No, she was a the shot. And then, then I remember one time, the forest ranger stopped, and it was lunchtime, and he stopped for dinner. He, He would say, yep, this is pretty good mud. And and she said, yep, get in my garden again. I'm going to have some more of that too. (laughs) (laughs) Because the deer was eating up her garden.
0: Okay. Your mom must have really been something to look after 10 children, raise them up on a farm. What would you say about your mom?
1: She was a great woman. And made sure we had an education. She figured that someday who would be farmers, say, well, out of the 10 of us, I was the only one.
0: Out of the 10, you were the only farmer? Yep. Wow.
1: Only one. When we first moved back from B.C., that's the wife and I and the little girl. They, it came school time, like she was six or seven, time to go to school. So anyway, they weren't going to put her up in the school, so the wife told them while she's going to school, hey, there were no school bus there. You know, the school buses were around, but they weren't up where we lived. The wife phoned the Minister of Education, and he says, I'll be down there on Thursday to meet him down there. All the counselors was there. And Bert Flattersy was there, too. And they had about 10 days before school started. And the Minister of Education says, She's going to be on that bus. I don't care how you people get her there, but she's going to be on that bus in the morning, and she's going to be on that bus coming home. Wow. So, you've never seen so much Chico in a few days because the oil company had built the road, but they didn't want to send the school bus up or anything. Alan Goddard, he was on the bus with my the one daughter, the oldest one, day. And he thought he was never going to get home.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's such a long ride. (laughs) Yeah.
1: You know, so.
0: Quite a difference in age between your oldest daughter and your youngest daughter.
1: I don't know, close to 20 years. Mm -hmm. Peggy was the first one. And she lives in BC. She just had a heart operation. Okay. And uh, then Christy, she lives at Red Deer. Neither one of them's farmers. They, you know, they won't take over maybe take over to sell it or something.
0: How does that make you feel? Do you wish you'd had other children who were interested in oh, taking yeah, on the farm? I wish
1: had some boys or something, you know, because Ethel and I put a lot of work in. we lived in an old shack. We built and then we sat down and decided we got enough Denver, we'll build our own house. We went to log building school, both of us say. Hey, we were going to build a nice big log house, had the logs and everything cut, and went to school. Took about three weeks. Then I uh, built this little log house, I think, is, I don't know, probably 14 by 16.
0: How long did it take you to build that?
1: In between time. Bottom up, but it would, you know, if I could work on it all day, it would have been okay. But but anyway, uh, Alan Mackey, he was the instructor, and we had a lot of nice spruce and poplar. So I decided right then, you know, rather than buy a modular home, I'll just build my own the way I wanted it. Okay. And we built 1,800 square feet. You know it's got uh, the kitchen and the living room, three bedrooms and an office.
0: And that was you and your wife you guys built that?
1: Yeah, most of it would happen in my spare time. I' cut trees and get them ready, and then the sawmill came. I had to get a planer in now. I talked to this guy. His name was Lou, and he had a planer, and he made it out of an old school bus. Hey? So we drove in the yard with it and I had the lumber all piled up. He says, Have you got any guys? And I said, Yeah. They said, This is all I need. Hey, that lumber was coming out of that planer so fast, man, we couldn't even keep up to it. <laughs> 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 so we got it all planed and I went dry pile it and then I was back at work again. And then we got it started at the house. After it was started, it was open until the following spring. What I mean by open, it was closed in, hey, but there was nothing done inside. Hey. Right. So we got that all done, and I should have brought you a picture, and you could have seen what it looked like. Hey, you know. But as to myself, people surprised—they go to the big window and look out. Drayton's is 25 miles away from where we live. Look right over top of Drayton and nice clear day, you can see the mountains all along.
0: Beautiful.
1: it Mountain View Farms, the trout farm, they got a lake on our farm, too, 30 acres on the one quarter. And it's 56 feet deep. It's a nice place. Yeah. You can look all around. I don't like being right up thinking on some bush or something. I gotta be up high you know, <laughs> so I can see out.
0: <laughs> you like to have a good view.
1: Yeah. Yeah, on the west we can't. In the east, you can't see nothing The salt bush. I don't like being where I can't see all the things. The first year we or well, be the second year we were up there, and we had sheep and a cow too. One evening I was home, and we were in the garden doing something, and she looked up and she said, "There's a bear," and she said, "He's going towards the sheep so I told her to get my rifle. I shot him, fell down, he's kicking, and I'm walking down in the field. And here it was a grizzly bear. There was four of us, and one was Cecil Elks. He used to live just out of town here. And my brother and a couple other guys, the neighbor, Bruce Whitebox, he used to ride through our land and see his cattle. I heard about this bear, you know, you don't think you're going to see them or anything, hey. And the rangers seen them, but their guns was too small, and they wouldn't shoot them. So anyway, I shot this bear, and he fell. And he's laying there kicking, and I'm walking real proud, hey. You know, I shot this bear. Hey. So Ethel found this Cecil, and he got these hound dogs, hey. So he comes up flying up there with his truck, with let his dogs out. He crossed the road to the east of us, and he's in the swamp, and he could hear us coming, and he's looking back. He gets up, and he turns around, and he starts walking away, and this seesaw shot him in the rear end with this three o three. He's turning around and coming back. I shot him in the neck. It took four of us to drive that barrel. In the forestry asked me about it. And I told him, yeah, I shot him, you know, because he's going to eat my wife.
0: Mm -hmm. Any of your siblings still alive? There's only three of us
1: left. Three. Okay. Lloyd's in Edmonton. He had a stroke. What's his name? Lloyd. Lloyd. Okay. Yeah. And then there's Cleveland, my brother. He's 95 this year. And myself. We're the only ones that's left.
0: And you were the last of the Black families that lived in that area. Where did all the families go?
1: They died off, moved away. There's two cemeteries here. There was. Now, the Black cemetery is inactive. And so our plots is in the other one, a little bit east of here. My grandmother, she's buried in the one they call it Keystone.
0: Keystone? Okay.
1: And I guess the deal was in those days if I died first in half land I would donate so much land for a cemetery.
0: What were some of the names of the people, the Black families that were there? What were some of the last names?
1: There was Ford's, Allen's, Ross's, King's, Charlie King. Him and his wife were both buried out there too.
0: Okay.
1: And, uh, Mark and Gwen
0: Hook. When you were younger, did the families get together and hang out, celebrate?
1: Not that much. I mean, now, like Black history, you know, you meet a bunch of, you know, the younger ones you don't know. And then we used to have it in school. There was the minister who used to come out before everything got cold or too muddy. Because then mostly everything was done by horse, you see. Right. I remember the first time I had a ride in this guy's car, it looked like the tail of the whole road. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But Hammer Valley, there's only, I think, one or two people left there anymore.
0: Does someone look after the cemetery? You said it's inactive, but does someone look after it?
1: Yeah. Like, I think there's 21 graves here. Now it's all grown up in trees, and the, the one place where all the things are is, you know, it's nice and clean. It's like a lawn there.
0: Mm-hmm. That's
1: where my grandmother's buried there. Okay. Charlie and Emma came. They were the last ones buried there. That came, you know, on all the colored people came. Hey, okay. You know, so. okay. And Valley, there's a big cemetery there.
0: The things that your family faced, your paternal and maternal grandparents back in Oklahoma, you know, they came to Alberta and Canada for a better life because of prejudice. Would you have imagined that in 2022, Black people are still having issues around prejudice and racism?
1: No, no, you wouldn't think it would be. I remember one time we were going to Hammer Valley, so we're bordering down the highway. You know, and this guy kept cutting us off. He cut us every time we tried to pass, you know, he'll pull out. He. There were three of us in his car. He. So we were going up there hunting. He. So the guy cut us off. Jane, one of the twins, he says, pull up alongside him, sort of slow, like, he, you know, and he knew he was going to cut us off. He. And he shoved this double barrel shot, cut out oh, you know the window and we got they one of these things right into the ditch, yeah.
0: <laughs> a couple of your brothers were porters on the train? Yeah. What do you know about that?
1: Cleveland, he was a porter. And then when they built the new airport in Edmonton, he was looking after back and bags of things. Well, before that, he was a porter for the CN or CP. Le-Jane was a porter for a while mm-hmm. and then Orville, the three of them
0: and did they talk about what that was like being a porter on the train much
1: oh yeah they used to talk about it Yeah, you know but I don't know right what I wanted to always do was take another ride on the train oh yeah after we came to Bratton never did go on the train again.
0: you never took the train again no oh what would you say, if you were to sum up your life living in Alberta, what's been great about it? What's been good about your life there?
1: Oh, it's been good. I like it here. A lot of nice people, even around Breton. I get phone calls, how's your wife making out? I have not been in Bretton for two months, you know, since she was in the hospital. You know, I would drive to Drayton to see her when they got her back up here because I would have to over there every second day bring her clothes and wash them and dry them and take them back the next day okay like I told this guy when you get a good one, you want to keep them <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: how many years you've been married now
1: 63
0: Wow well
1: it should be going on 64 shouldn't
0: it fantastic yeah. how old was your mom when she passed
1: she was uh, 73. Person hate to see those days coming, you know, they're coming.
0: And your mother never remarried?
1: No, she never remarried. Hard worker, you know, training us. You gotta do this, you gotta do that.
0: She trained you well because you're still working. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When you think about the fact that way back when your great greats came to this country, you know, your family, your parents' family, I guess it was a good thing that they made that trip to Canada.
1: Oh, yeah. Like I say, I would like to ride on the train again. It's different nowadays. That was an old steam engine that used to go through here. I remember Mr. Seal, when we moved back, he was sort of surprised. He went down and told him that our furniture was coming back. Everything was coming back from BC. And he, he says, you're moving back? And I says, yeah. I said I could shovel snow, but I can't shovel out water. <laughs> <laughs> Every day, rain, rain, and then you'll get about that much snow, and they're in the ditches, and, and right now the land just across, like three quarters in the summer, uh-huh. this last fall sold for a million and a half dollars a piece. Nothing on them but bush. Like to say, if you're a farmer, live poor and die rich.
0: <laughs> <laughs> live poor and die rich. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You've told me so much, and I really appreciate you taking the time. And I want to thank Alan and Barbara and the museum for making it possible for us to talk today. Nice talking
1: to you, too. Thank
0: you so much. I hope to see you again. Yeah, I hope so. Take care. I will. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to check out our website, www.intheblackcanada.ca to listen to black Canadians from across this country, talk about their experiences and those of their ancestors of being black in Canada. And if you have a story to tell, contact us through the website, or at in the Black Canada at gmail.com. You can catch more episodes of I Am Black History, Our Voices, Our Stories, wherever you get your podcasts.